I, I can't tell you how, how much of an honor it is to speak before people who are doing the kind of life-saving work, and you know, regardless of whether you're Catholic or, or not, Father Ed would really call this a life-saving ministry of, of healing that you all are invo involved in. Um, I have to say, though, that this, despite feeling honored, I nonetheless am, in Father Ed's eyes, I am underprivileged. Uh, and uh, the reason uh, I'm underprivileged uh, is that uh, I am a non-alcoholic. Uh, and all non-alcoholics were underprivileged to Father Ed. Uh, but I'm in good company because Father Ed was himself a member of the underprivileged. Uh, he was uh, a non-alcoholic who uh, felt uh, the, the call to minister to AA. And in fact, um, as much as Father Ed um, certainly valued you know, his sacramental priesthood, uh, certainly, certainly valued his daily celebration of Eucharist, and all the other um, apostolates he was involved in. He also valued the um, secular things that he was involved in, such as uh, being an at-large member of the uh, St. Louis branch of the American Newspaper Guild, so he was involved in, in, in union work. Uh, he was also involved with promoting what is now called ranked choice voting. Uh, back then it was called proportional representation, uh, a means of improving democracy, uh, making the vote more democratic. However much he valued all his different interests, and I haven't even gotten into his love of baseball, um, still, uh, his, for him, in a certain way, his life and even his priesthood really began when he met Bill Wilson and began his, um, sort of supercharged his ministry to AA. Um, he told his sister, Anna, uh, that the graces he received from working with members of AA were equivalent to the graces that he experienced on his, at, at his priestly ordination. So, you know, to imagine a priest who, who died in 1960 at the age of, of 61 before the Second Vatican Council, comparing working with alcoholics, many of whom, if not most, were non-Catholic, to compare that to the graces he received at his priestly ordination uh, it is astonishing. Um, it, it, it was only at Vatican II that Catholic priests were even permitted to make ecumenism and inter-religious dialogue a focal point of, of their ministry. Uh, before that, it was suspect, very suspect. In fact, that's how the Cleveland branch of AA got started, uh, because uh, Clarence Snyder was bringing a couple of alcoholics from Cleveland to the Akron uh, AA Group, group One, uh, where Dr. Bob and was and where Henrietta you know, Cyberlin was, was a, as a non-alcoholic uh, assisting. Uh, and uh, that group one was, was um, expressly Protestant in its, out, in, in its outlook, would, would pray in a Protestant manner together. Um, they were much more uh, explicit about the faith aspect than the New York group uh, w was. Um, and uh, they were, the Akron group was explicitly an outgrowth of the uh, Oxford uh, group, 
which was itself a, a Protestant group. So uh, when this uh, pastor in St. In St. Louis um, heard that that these, um, I think this might have been in, in about 1939, it was fairly early in AA's history, um, I, um, I, afterwards if, I'm, if I've gotten any facts wrong about AA, please, uh, uh, please correct me, um, but when the pastor of these uh, Catholic alcoholics in Cleveland heard that they were going to Akron to a meeting of this Protestant group, he told them that they had to stop going to that meeting under pain of excommunication. Uh, and so uh, that's how there became that sort of, you know, if you hear it told in AA literature, uh, it was very nearly a knockdown, drag out fight uh, between Clarence Snyder and Dr. Bob that, that led to Clarence Snyder, you know, basically taking his toys and his alcoholics and going back to Cleveland and starting a separate AA group there so that it would not be explicitly Protestant and so that Catholics could could attend. So not only is it extraordinary, extraordinarily moving for me to be speaking to recovery ministries and, and uh, nonprofits <coughs> leaders of those here in Cleveland, but also um, the the uh, fact that that you're here and, and that there were priests such such as is Father Winchester, is that right, uh, of, of St. Saint, Saint Malachy's, who in, I believe, 1947 uh, began the Stella Maris outreach here. I'm giving a few more details than are probably necessary for this group because I'm recording this, uh, and I'd like for people to understand what I'm referring to. Um, so the fact that there, that there was Father Dowling's outreach to alcoholics beginning in 1940, and there was Father Winchester's outreach and that these outreaches were to alcoholics regardless of their faith really tells you something about how forward-thinking these priests were uh, because they were more than 15 years ahead of the curve. They were doing this when it was highly controversial for a priest to be involved in anything that looked like ecumenical ministries. Uh, prior to the Second Vatican Council. Um, so uh, what I'd like to do, do I have about 20 minutes yeah, left? Yep. Okay, okay, good. Father and I have a, have a secret signal uh, as to when I have five minutes le left. Um, so what I'd like to do is give you a talk that's somewhat different from the talk that I normally give because I want to highlight the importance of my biography of Father Edward Dowling, S.J., uh, for your work in recovery and sort of point you to things that in my own thus far limited experience, the book is brand new, but point you to things that I believe will be valuable for you about the stories told in this book, whether you're ministering to, to Catholics or non-Catholics. So um, the way that I, as with many you know, other people, first heard about Father Ed Dowling was through the story of his first encounter with Bill Wilson, which Bill Wilson himself tells in AA Comes of Age. If you go on YouTube and you look for AA's talk, like Bill Wilson's talk at the AA 1955 
uh, International Convention. Uh, it's it's where where Bill Wilson introduces Father Dowling. You can hear him tell the story about that about that first meeting, and on Bill's uh, telling, at that first meeting, Father Dowling comes late at night to the AA clubhouse uh, in the the winter of 1940. I was able to find out in my research for this book the exact date, November 16, 1940, and uh, in Bill Wilson's telling, you know, it's like you read in the Peanuts comic strip when Scoopy is at his typewriter, it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, since I knew the date, I was able to look up the weather report in the New York Times and find that on November 16, 1940, there was no precipitation <laughs> in New York. But, you know, Bill was trying to get at some spiritual truth there. Oh, and just as an aside, when I told that to a tour guide at the Wilson's home, Stepping Stones, uh, and I mentioned that this was what I had found in the weather report in the New York Times, he said, well, did you look to another source? And I said, you know, I don't remember if I did. And he said, well, I just say that because, you know, you can't believe everything you read in the New York Times. <laughs> he had me there. Um, anyway, but on Bill's account, we'll go with Bill's account for now. I, I augment and somewhat correct it in, in here, but Bill's basic account is very much uh, the spirit of what happened. Um, Father Ed is coming to visit unannounced, trudging up the steps at the AA clubhouse. He was severely uh, handicapped. You can see here in the cover photo, uh, he has his, his hands uh, on his, on his, his cane. Um, often he carried a, a shillelagh because he was so proud of his Irish uh, heritage. Um, and when he reached the top of the steps, got into the, the small room where Bill and Lois were sharing. Lois was out that night and Bill was just home depressed because he had thousands of copies of the big book sitting in a warehouse a year after its publication, and AA had yet to take off beyond, you know, a few groups comprising, you know, maybe 2,000 people, if that, I think more like 1,000. I have the exact estimate in here in the book. Um, so uh, Father Ed, you know, took, took a chair. Bill was so depressed he didn't even offer him a chair, so Father Ed just sat down, stretched out, you know, he had this, this way of sitting which people listening to this won't, won't, um, won't uh, be able to see, but I think I can demonstrate this fairly modestly despite my short, short skirt. I don't think I have to ask you to look away, Father. Um, he, um, you, know, he, he, you know, his back was stiff, his leg was stiff, so he would, he would have to kind of, you know, get into this awkward position and have his cane to his, to his side. Um, and then, and, and interestingly enough, although Bill, in telling the story, would refer to the, to the old priest visiting him, Father Ed was younger than Bill W. It's just that because of his arthritis and his handicap, uh, and, and part of his condition, ankylosing spondylitis, was prematurely gray hair. Um, so here he was, he was, he was only he had just recently turned 42, so he was 12 years younger than the groovy grandma sitting in front of you, and yet he, or would-be grandma, spiritual grandma, uh, he, he was 12 years younger than me and he already looked like this, the cover of, of the book. He seemed like an old man, and so sat down and said to Bill W., 
Um, I'm intrigued by the uh, similarities, similarities of your 12 steps and the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola, founder of the Jesuits. And Bill responded, never heard of him. <laughs> and, and, and that was your reaction was Father Ed's reaction. Father Ed laughed, and that broke the ice between them. And for the next 20 years, uh, Bill W. would consider Father Ed his spiritual sponsor. When they weren't speaking on the phone, they were exchanging letters. I forget how many letters exist between them. I'll have to... to uh, to count it again sometime, but but it's uh, I think around 200 letters over that 20 years uh, be between them, and who knows how many times they spoke on the phone as well as when they the many times that they met uh, in in person. Um, so um, I go into more detail about that first meeting and about the nature of of Father Ed's spiritual sponsorship of, of Bill in this book. I think that. Father Ed's spiritual sponsorship alone, if you read the give and take, um, you can find a lot of um, helpful things with regard to helping guide alcoholics from the good to the better. Um, Father Ed particularly believed that St. Ignatius of Loyola's first rules for spiritual discernment for the first week of the spiritual exercises were helpful to alcoholics um, because those are the rules for when people are are um, going you know from a state of, of sinfulness into a state of, of grace uh, and they're trying to shed their attraction to sin that they need to be aware of the subtle temptations that might lead them to to fall uh, so so that is all discussed in Father Ed. Um, the other things that I just want to touch upon, do I have about 10 more? Okay, great. The other things I want to touch upon that I think will be helpful to you are things that people don't know about uh, when they hear about Father Ed that are discussed here. Um, there are two books that you might have seen that touch on aspects of Father Ed's uh, life and ministry. There's uh, the book by the Jesuit Robert Fitzgerald called The Soul of Sponsorship, which is a collection of Father Ed's Bill W's correspondence, uh, edited. Uh, and then there's also a book by an AA member named Glenn Chestnut that uh, is simply called Father Ed Dowling, Bill W's sponsor, somewhat similar title to, to mine, um, to my book, but not identical. Um, and Glenn Chestnut's book, uh, includes almost no original research. He didn't go into the archives that I went into. He simply takes the material, almost all of it, from the Robert Fitzgerald book and reworks it, putting it in the context of AA history and Catholic history. Uh, so uh, given that the Robert Fitzgerald book had only about, maybe at most, four pages of, of biographical material about Father Ed, um, it portrayed Father Ed as this sort of um, deus ex machina, you know, this this kind of, you know, special, um, you know, in movies we might call call it, you know, in the feminine side, manic pixie dream girl, the person who has no real life or issues of of his or her own, who is just dropped into the scene to change someone's life, um, and you know, vanishes as quickly as he or she came, you know. Uh, that's the kind of character that Father Ed appears to be in these stories. 
And I thought, well, here I am, I'm a non-AA. I've been to one AA meeting in my life. I, I would like to go to, to others as, as, as an observer. I just need to find AAs who will take me, and hopefully that'll happen uh, soon, uh, you know, because I, I, feel, I feel better that way. But anyway, uh, one thing I, I have noticed, you know, just from reading the big book, is that it's about stories, and it's not just about where people are, but it's about where they've been. And I thought, if Father Ed is an important person for, for AAs, and if he had some sort of shared suffering, as AA historian Ernie Kurtz said about where Bill and Father Ed connected on this level of shared suffering, then that shared suffering must have come from somewhere. And I, I think it's too simplistic to say that it simply came from the physical illness. That's what people have mostly said in the past. They've mentioned, oh yes, well, Father Ed did lose a younger brother uh, in the pandemic of 2019. But you know, they they've just sort of left that to one line, you know, much, you know, in the much larger context of Bill and Father Ed. I've um, before writing this book, I wrote books on spiritual healing for survivors of, of trauma and sexual abuse. Uh, my piece, I give you healing sexual wounds with the help of the saints and another one of Ignatian spirituality for healing called Remembering God's Mercy. Uh, so I've, you know, since 2012, when I first started speaking about healing from abuse, and in a certain way, even since my book on, on chastity came out in 2000, uh, late 2006, The Thrill of the Chaste, I have met hundreds if not thousands of people who have experienced suffering and want to talk about suffering and I can't think of any person who has come to me saying, I need healing from my suffering, you know, because it's just the physical pain. And that's like the one thing, just the physical pain. How do I deal with that? It's always the uh, emotional, spiritual pain, which is always worse than the physical pain. And if the physical pain bothers them, it's because they already have reason to suspect God's to place God's goodness under suspicion because they've already experienced some sort of emotional, spiritual pain. And then the physical, um, the, the, the physical uh, pain is like adding injury to insult. <laughs> um, so, you know, as I researched Father Ed's life, I found that that was very much uh, the case uh, with, with him, uh, that the loss of his little brother, James, uh, who, who was I think, about um, about uh, three years uh, younger younger than than him, or th three four years. Um, so you know James was just fifteen. Father Ed was 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 just um, it was just nineteen or, or so uh, when James died. And you know I don't know if you yourself have had such a loss of a younger sibling, or if you know others who have. Uh, I, I just know the story of James Barry, the author of Peter Pan, uh, whose um, brother uh, David died. I forget if David was older or younger, but the two brothers are very close. And uh, when David died young in a skating accident, I think, um, James Barry felt that he always had to now live for two people, mm -hmm. that he couldn't just live his own life. He had to be to excel. It's like the <coughs> number one man. That feeling that he had to be good, he had to be perfect, um, because he was now living not just for himself, but for his dead brother. So I think those aspects of Father Ed's life, I think 
the addicts to the new minister would uh, would relate. Do I have five? About four minutes. Okay, thank thank you. I, I missed the signal. Um, so, um, so just uh, a couple a couple of other uh, of other things uh, beyond beyond that um, that I uh, marked in the book. Well, I think you'll find it very interesting when you read about. Father Ed's history to discover what his master's thesis was about when he was doing his philosophy studies at St. Louis University. This, this is um, more than 15 years before he met Bill Wilson. His master's thesis uh, was on the psychology of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius and how it could help people who had any problem. He, he, sa he said that um, he wanted to uh, study the exercise, well actually this was after he had done his master's, he wanted to turn it into a doctorate. He wanted to study the exercises from philosophical, theological, sociological, and educational angles, as well as from an ascetical uh, viewpoint. And he wanted to study means, this is 1925 he's writing, he wanted to study means of popularizing their principles in the, the va these various fields. So already 1925, he's thinking that the spiritual exercises have principles that can be practiced. You all know the 12th step. And so uh, Bill Wilson, uh, I hate to use that, that line uh, from that Tom Cruise film's title, I'm sure you know, and it escapes me at this moment. Um, but you know, in a certain way, Bill Wilson completed <laughs> Father, uh, Father Dowling. Uh, he was the realization of what Father Dowling felt his mission in life was. And Father Dowling, in turn, helped Bill understand his own mission because even though Bill had written the 12 steps, including the 12th step about carrying the message, you know, Bill knew that he could only maintain his sobriety if he carried the message by helping other other alcoholics attain and maintain sobriety. But Bill, until he met Father Ed, was still frustrated and was saying, won't there be any satisfaction? And Father Ed in that first meeting said, no, never. Uh, what he showed Bill was that practicing these principles and carrying the message wasn't merely something that Bill was doing on a practical level of maintaining his sobriety. It was absolutely necessary for Bill's interior satisfaction. He would never attain full satisfaction in this life because we're not meant to. But that, you know, in a, um, in a spiritual way, Bill's heaven, you know, as a Catholic, I would say Bill's experience of Christ, Bill's Eucharist, Bill's heaven was in the alcoholic who was still suffering. He had to reach out to that alcoholic every day to find his heaven, his vocation, where you know a foretaste of heaven was in whatever satisfaction he might receive from carrying the message. That's what Father Ed uh, showed, and that was really the missing piece in Bill's own uh, spiritual journey. Uh, so uh, thank you uh, so so much uh, for coming, for uh, listening.